Welcome back to Cardinals Off Day and uh, happy Cardinals opening day. Uh, ben and I are here talking actually the night of the Cardinals home opener. Um, the Cardinals just uh, beat the Milwaukee Brewers three to one in a very uh, exciting game. Well, I'm doing uh, great. Ben, how you doing Thanks tonight? to Nolan Arenado, uh, Adam Wainwright and the bullpen. I mean, it was a wonderful game and it finally feels like baseball season. Mike Shannon's on the radio uh, games are being played with the arch in the background, and there are fans in the stadium giving standing ovations to current and former Cardinals. So baseball season is upon us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, well, let's kick things off just talking about uh, uh, what did we learn, and uh, you know, in the past we've had to talk about what did we learn over spring training, which we know is kind of meaningless, and then we talked about. Well, what did we learn over a, a single baseball game, which we can't learn a lot? We've had an entire week of actual real baseball now. Uh, what do you feel um, like? You I feel like uh, I learned that the front office and Mike Schilt, when they were talking about opportunities in the outfield during the offseason and all of the things they learned about the mistakes they made with Randy or Rosarena, that they were not talking about Justin Williams or Austin Dean. And it's pretty incredible to see that one injury to Harrison Bader kind of knocked over that house of cards. And now the team that let Colton Wong go uh, over $10 million is apparently toying with the idea of starting Matt Carpenter at second base and Tommy Edmond in right field, which is a, a pretty remarkable uh, turn of events, especially given the fact that Schilt has you know, basically given up on Justin Williams after he went O for Cincinnati. Like that's how short the leash was for him. Yeah. 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 Um, well, and I, um, I think we'll come back and touch on the Edmund Carpenter situation a little bit later too, because it's definitely been an interesting, uh, interesting turn of events. Um, I feel like this week uh, I learned a little bit about what the what the hierarchy is out there in the St. Louis bullpen, and we kind of speculated on this uh, on our last show. And for me, it's it's come into a little bit more focus. And what what it looks like to me at this moment is that Schilt really does have kind of his A team and his B team relievers, and. Again, I think that's pretty much by necessity because starting pitchers are are not going more than five innings this season, you know, pretty much as a rule across baseball, not just with the Cardinals. So uh, you need so if you're going to have one inning re, uh, relief outings, that's four relievers you're going to need, you know, every single night. So uh, with the Cardinals currently carrying eight relievers, there's your there's your A team and your B team right there, you know, kind of on, on alternating days. So from what I've seen at this point, I would say it looks like the A team, again, starting from the ninth inning, you've got Reyes, then Gallegos, then Webb, and then kind of plus one after that. And that's a little floaty. We've seen several different people come through there. The B team to me looks like Hicks, Miller, and then kind of whoever's left at that point. <laughs> so, you know, that A-team group we've seen multiple times now. Reyes, Gallegos, and Webb we've seen deployed multiple times in games that were competitive or the Cardinals are winning that it looked like they wanted to close out. Generally paired with uh, Cabrera or Helsley or, again, kind of a little bit of a mix and match for that last spot there. And then, those again, those kind of alternating games – Hicks and Miller look to me like the ones that are really kind of earmarked for those games. But then it's just sort of, you know, whoever maybe wasn't used or can go, uh, you know, two days in a row from that A group fills in there. And, uh, you know, Woodford is clearly the mop up guy. So, <laughs> you know, that's kind of that's kind of what that's looking like. So um, I don't know if that'll stay that way all year long. Maybe starters will get stretched out a little more and we'll see longer outings and, and that can change. But uh, for right now, that looks to me like what the bullpen hierarchy is. And I, I feel like that's something that's coming into focus. Yeah, and the rotation has really fed, I think, the the way that Schilt has used the bullpen. And, you know, as you said, they haven't given a lot of innings, even though they've thrown a lot of pitches. They've been very inefficient. Uh, Jack Flaherty, even in Miami, started out, uh, was very inefficient in the first few innings, then cleaned it up and was able to give them six innings. Uh, but Adam Wainwright today in the home opener, very inefficient. He was all over the place early, 
had troubles finding the strike zone. Uh, if I didn't know any better, I'd say whatever varmint bit John Gant and Ponce de Leon uh, snuck into the clubhouse and and maybe bit Flaherty and Wainwright and Carlos Martinez as well. So uh, hopefully this is just something that you can maybe blame a little bit on the weather in Cincinnati, a little bit in, on finding the groove uh, as the season goes on. Because if you're going to throw 100 pitches, uh, you'd much rather get seven innings than struggle to get five. Yeah. Now, let me interrupt real quick. Was there actually a varmint incident or was that it a was metaphorical, metaphorical varmint? varmint. It was my way of uh, not directly oh, okay. criticizing Gant and Ponce de Leon uh, for their lack of command yeah. and control <laughs> of their pitches. Uh, you know. Okay. I, I thought so, but then there was a moment where I was like, wait a minute, did I did I miss a varmint story? Which would have surprised me because I do have Google News alerts set for St. Louis Cardinals and varmint. No, so but they'll need to be surprised. careful in uh, Colorado because apparently there's uh, a pack of stray cats, feral cats that live in Coors Field, and the Denver Post is on it. There was an article today. So there's apparently a an ever-growing... Uh, as I said, pack of, of feral cats. And it dates back to when there were a whole bunch of warehouses and stuff in that part of town before they developed it. And apparently they have developed it and all the cats were driven to Coors field where there are mice that eat all the food that people drop. Um, and also there are places for them to live, uh, because everywhere else is, you know, like hip brew pubs and, uh, condos and that type of thing. Right. Right, right. The ballpark dispensary is nearby. Um, yeah, I was watching the game the other day when the the cat came on the field there. I, th- I thought that was an isolated cat incident. I didn't realize that was just one representative of an entire yeah, army Yeah, the Denver Post article is very good. They had video of, of some of the moms leading around the kittens earlier in the spring that are the new members of the pack. That And, you know, they're within the gates of Coors Field. And the employees would not go on the record. They would only give anonymous quotes because they didn't want to get in trouble about talking for the cats. But there was uh, this one employee gave this really endearing answer about how he has a prized picture of a black cat laying in the sun in Coors Field on an off day and how wonderful that would be to be a cat. And this is where you're living on Coors in Coors Field and you get to sun yourself in an empty baseball stadium on an off day. And it was it was a pretty great story all the way around. Yeah. Well, and as we are the off day podcast, I feel we should adopt that cat yes, as, our, as our official mascot. So, so the Coors off day cat is now the official mascot of this podcast, if anyone was wondering. Um, well, hey, since we were already kind of getting into, oops, hey, there's my uh, my text message alert right there. So uh, since we were already getting into kind of the bullpen and the rotation, um, let, let's just kind of stick there. And, and I, you know, one fact that I looked into this week just to kind of check on um, the the league average for innings pitched uh, right now is uh, 4.9 for starting pitchers. So starting pitchers uh, league-wide are averaging 4.9 innings pitched. Last year, it was actually 4.8 for the entire season. So it's basically in line with where it was last season. Now, that's something that's been trending down for you know forever, basically, um, kind of slowly, slowly going down. So even in the years before that, it was kind of in the fives, um, you know, but not too long ago, it was, you know, six plus innings was kind of the league average. So it's it's dropping quite a bit, which is interesting. And so I'm I guess I'm, I'm curious what you're thinking, you know, to what extent is this uh, just a freak thing for the beginning of this season or even this entire season because of the covid year versus how much is that something that, uh, you know, is just the, the way baseball is now. And kind of what are the long-term ramifications of that? And, and one thing that goes along with that, of course, is that horrible statistic, the win, which requires a starting pitcher to pitch five innings. If starting pitchers are pitching 4.8 innings right now, ain't, ain't no more starting pitchers getting that win statistic. So I don't know. What do you do? You think this is like an aberration or you think this is more where? I mean, the, this is just is where the game was heading. And I've I have written about this a lot at Viva Albertos, the decline in innings pitched by starters, um, and also combining it uh, with the times through the order penalty. And the thing 
I guess coincidentally enough, since he's returned to managing uh, for the White Sox this year. But the thing that really piqued my interest on the subject was Tony LaRusso's managing in the 2011 postseason, which was 10 years ago, uh, this October, believe it or not. Um, and uh, aside from the bullpen phone game and getting Lance Lynn warm to issue an intentional walk, uh, you know, a game that if the Cardinals hitters had done their job, the spotlight would not have been on Tony Larusa. just as an aside. But, you know, he was very quick to pull starters once they got into trouble. He went to the bullpen early and played matchups. He basically counted on Chris Carpenter and Jaime Garcia to give him innings. And then the other games, he used his bullpen to try and maximize his ability to win. And uh, I did not understand why Mike Matheny apparently learned nothing from that postseason during the postseason. Uh, and my interest in it bled into the regular season as more and more managers were basically managing their bullpens like Tony LaRusa. And I think what we're seeing now is 2020, because it was a shortened season, I think accelerated that trend uh, like it's done in many other facets of our lives, uh, you know, like working from home. Uh, using the internet for meetings on Zoom, that type of thing. Uh, but instead, uh, managers are now using relievers earlier. And I think it is also out of necessity because of the shortened workload or, or the lesser workload uh, in 2020, they are not going to be able to lean on starters the way that they may have in the past. Um, and of course, Fittingly tonight, former Cardinal Lance Lynn threw a complete game shutout with 11 strikeouts with Tony LaRusso managing. So as I'm talking about him <laughs> piquing my interest and this tie into the 2011 right. Cardinals, Tony LaRusso was just like, yeah, Lance Lynn, you just go throw your shutout t- tonight. Right. But that's but that's like the baseball equivalent of like a Johnny Rockets diner or something. You know, that's just this like piece of old time baseball kitsch that's out there as just one option that fans have in the marketplace. But uh, but unique for how so uh, I unusual think that's it where is. we are. Uh, but the interesting thing to me is the Cardinals uh, typically talk about pitch totals uh, more than innings. And the pitch totals from the Cardinals starters you know, are more in line for going deep into the game. Uh, you know, we aren't seeing Schilt manage pitch totals. He did with Flaherty uh, on opening day, and we talked about that. But he's, you know, and then Wainwright got shelled. But if you look at, um, you know, he rode Ponce de Leon uh, close to 90 pitches and then uh, pulled him, and he uh, did something similar with Gant. Uh, Flaherty... See, I was going to say, I was going to say it is similar. I feel like he's pretty much just everybody's, you know, you got up to a hundred and if I can stomach how much you're getting shelled under a hundred, right. I'm going to But I guess what I, what I am saying is you aren't seeing them go out with a plan to limit pitches uh, or even necessarily innings. It feels like the Cardinals starters have just not pitched well. Um, and so that has forced his hand to rely on the bullpen more. And that has shown uh, some of the, the weaker spots in the bullpen or the reality of when you're trying to string together relievers that something could go wrong. Uh, and then, uh, you know, that reliever gets shelled and your whole plan uh, is in tatters and you've basically got to start over trying to, to stitch together those innings. And so um, I think other teams... Uh, are being perhaps more deliberate from what I've seen. Uh, But the Cardinals, he just seems to have kind of gotten in this bad place because of bad starts by Flaherty and Wainwright, and then Martinez unable to go deep. And so he's trying to get as much as he can out of the starters because of that early workload on the bullpen. And we're where we are in mid-April uh, where I thought we might be in July with respect to if you lean on that bullpen mm-hmm. more, you're going to have trouble stitching together nine innings day in and day out later in the season. Uh, but luckily there are off days like tomorrow. Uh, April has quite a few because of the home opener and because of opening day. And so 
you know, it's not as bad as it could be, but it's still not great. Yeah. Well, and, um, you know, kind of back to that notion I threw out earlier about the sort of A team and B team of relievers. And so if you just accept that as more or less, these guys are going to rotate, you know, that you're talking about, uh, you know, 80 plus uh, appearance, you know, basically 80 appearances for each of those pitchers. And that's a lot. Um, I, you know, I look back at 2019 and the, the, the main five relievers that the Cardinals used that season had between uh, 65 and uh, 70 or in the low seventies in terms of appearances. So the idea that you have a system in place right now where you're going to take eight relievers and they're essentially going to average out to something like 80 innings a piece. If you divided it equally amongst them, that's an enormous bullpen workload and so, uh, you know, and yeah, that would be alleviated if, if the, uh, these starters went a little longer and, you know, and a hundred pitches is, is a limitation, but it's not, it's not a 60 pitch limitation. And so if we saw more efficient outings, you know, some of these guys, you know, could, could get a little more work there, but, um, but I'll also kind of segue there to talking about what they do with the 26th man. Cause I, and as we record this, there haven't been any roster moves made, but it seemed to me within the last couple of days that there were pretty strong hints that they were going to maybe uh, send away uh, a hitter and bring in another pitcher, which given that tremendous bullpen workload, I can certainly see them doing. Uh, I mean, what are you thinking? What do you think they're going to um, do? I, do I think that, uh, based on what we've read and Schilt has indicated that the reason that they have the number of bats on the bench that they do is because of the number of off days. They don't need the extra arm because there's built in rest for the pitchers uh, on days like the day after the home opener. And I think what you also have is uh, you have Kim working his way back to the rotation and uh, it sounds like Schilt has left open the possibility that they might basically go to a six-man rotation for a period of time once Kim immediately comes back to reduce the workload for the starters uh, here early and allow them uh, to make it through the end of the season, which I thought was an interesting thing to say because you know Ponce de Leon and Gant turned in good runs allowed numbers, but I think you would be hard pressed to find anyone who's who would tell you that they pitched well um and you know what it really was was they played with fire but they didn't get burned and if and they pitched in the way that you kind of expect them to pitch based on their track records as starters and so i don't know how much longer you can stick with both of them in the rotation and you know gant is a nice reliever to have on that B team. He's an averageish right-handed reliever who's got a changeup, so the three batter minimum isn't tough for him. And so, you know, you kind of wonder how long do they stick with Gant, given the fact he threw 15 innings in the regular season last year. And, you know, there's a pretty good chance he will eclipse his innings pitch total in April if they stick with him in the rotation or go to a six-man rotation uh, once Kim's back. So... Uh, it's an interesting question because I think right now they have the number of bats that they have because of the built-in off days, but then they've also indicated that they might go to a six-man rotation, which is curious to me because it seems like they've overly taxed the bullpen earlier, early. So, Right. I would, yeah, I mean, to me, a six-man rotation, the 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 stress seems to be much more on the bullpen right now than it is on on the starters. And obviously the starters are having to build up their workload compared to the total workload that everyone did last year. But um, I'm much more concerned about that innings jump for that, you know, for the bullpen a hundred percent. Yeah. I it, it's, but all that said, I strongly see them eventually getting rid of this extra hitter and having that extra uh, pitcher and probably staying that way for the rest of the season, which kind of bums me out because um, as I think I might've mentioned on a previous show, I I like the idea of uh, a 26 man just because I really like that sort of uh, Lenny Harris, you know, like designated like uh, pinch hitter guy uh, on your bench. I just I kind of miss, you know, having a guy that yeah, was literally the, just the Eduardo a bat, Perez, he was there. the Mad um, Stairs guy. Absolutely. Yep. 
Yeah, exactly. So, but I think that's where this is going. And frankly, I, I'm not surprised because I was, I, it, it surprised me when the Cardinals on their opening day roster included Matt Carpenter, Austin Dean, and John Nagowski, who are basically, you know, three more in that kind of Matt Stairs type mold players with fairly limited defensive value. So I just, I've never really seen it being very plausible that they'd be able to carry all three of those guys. So, um, you know, one of them, I think probably goes away for a pitcher here, uh, at some point would be, would be my expectation. And then I think one of them also very likely, you know, goes away for certainly when Harrison Bader's back, but I think possibly even before that for Lane Thomas, just to have, um, a little bit more of a rotation option out there in the outfield, you know, especially as O'Neill and uh, Williams, though it's only a week and I'm not I'm not really too concerned over a week. But, you know, they haven't exact. you know, th- th- they're not screaming. Yes, I should absolutely be a long term everyday player in this position either. So um, so that's I mean, that's something I'm kind of interested to see how they how they use that 26th man. And then also, you know, some of that kind of plays into just what they're doing with Tommy Edmond and Matt Carpenter. So I guess before I kind of rail against that, uh, how how do you feel about that? I think this is what three games in a row now that Carpenter has started. Yeah, and I'll tell you, he's taking good plate appearances, and he's had some of the best swings on the team this side of Goldschmidt and Arenado. So or Arenado. So it's it's hard for me to get too bent out of shape about it. Um, and the other thing is he's shown he can play second base. He's by no means Colton Wong, uh, but he can do it. And so, you know, right now she'll, you can see him looking for a charge in the lineup to help the lineup. And Matt Carpenter takes professional plate appearances. And, you know, his first start, he had about as good a game at the plate as you can have without having a hit. And then, uh, he did it again. Uh, had another drive today, well over 100 miles per hour off the bat, a few feet in front of the wall or right up against the wall, and it's an out. But how many other Cardinals have put that type of a charge into a baseball this year? I mean, it's, you know, your multi-time All-Stars and then Dylan Carlson. And so it's... Uh, it's a difficult situation, and I can understand why Schilt is doing what he's doing. And the other part of it is Matt Carpenter is a veteran, and he's a person who has the respect of his teammates. He's has a long resume that's uh, over a long, illustrious career, and he has respect amongst his peers. And I know everyone's like, well, you just cut him, but... You know, other players watch that type of thing, whether they're on your team or outside of the organization. They want to see uh, how you treat your veterans when maybe they hit a rough spot. And so I also understand it from that perspective, where when you look at the batting lines from a Justin Williams, from a Tyler O'Neill, and you see Matt Carpenter, who was getting MVP votes a few years ago, it's I can understand the mindset of, well, why wouldn't we give him a chance and see if he can hit? And I don't think he has done much to play himself out of a lineup spot. And if he's putting together plate appearances like he's been putting together, I understand why Schilt would try and find a way to get him into the lineup. Now, why you try to keep Tommy Edmond in the lineup with him, you know, that's, that's another question that I don't always understand, but I guess he had a triple today that would have been an out uh, most of the time. So uh, that's good from Edmund's perspective, but it's, it's, it's a glaring yeah. thing to me. It's just You're a glaring more... thing to me where it's, yeah, you can play Edmund everywhere, but that doesn't mean you should. The last time your Tommy Edmund fetish got played to, you played him over Randy Arozarena, which is one of the worst managerial decisions in Major League Baseball in the last 10 seasons. And so Justin Williams is not Randy Arozarena. Tyler O'Neill is not Randy Arozarena. We know that, for uh, you know, but 
you need to see what you have in those guys. And I don't think three games in Williams case is enough to tell you. Yeah. Well, you're, I, 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 you're more charitable with the Carpenter situation than I am, though. I would agree with you. I think he has, he has taken good at bats and I, I do like his kind of, I like him in that pinch hitting role for that reason, because I do feel like he's going to come in and, you know, he can take a walk. He can do, you know, like he's not going to be um, outdone by the situation. Maybe um, I, I like him. Okay. In that pinch hitting role um, coming in to play and today. Okay. Goldschmidt's hurt. You need a first baseman. Fine. That makes sense to me. Um, you know, an occasional game at second base. Yes. The two games at second base starting to look like that's where he's going to move. Coupled with Tommy Edmund to the outfield is to me, just looking too much like Mike Matheny moves, frankly, because um, first off, I have just serious questions about Tommy Edmund as an outfielder. I don't think he is an outfielder. He didn't play out. You know, he's, he's never really been an outfielder until they stuck him there in, you know, in the major leagues. Um, he hasn't had enough time out there and defensive metrics aren't good enough that we can definitively look at some metric that says, you know, is he or is he not, uh, you know, a, an outfielder he's definitely athletic and he's fast so he can be fine out there when he was in that sort of super utility role I certainly didn't have a problem with him you know occasionally being out there but when I watch him in the outfield he just he does not look natural or intuitive at all as an as an outfielder I don't think his arm I mean I think it's okay but it's not it's not a plus outfield arm by any means um it just, that does not, I mean, that feels like something where if you have to fill in, yes, that's a position he can go play, but to suddenly make that plan a, as you said, I see to me, these are Matheny type moves. You know, Edmund has kind of just this halo is on him and he's just, you know, he can do no wrong. And so he's going to hit lead off and he's going to, you know, play all over the field. Um, which just to me feels like a very Matheny move. You know, and the Carpenter thing as well, and I, I do, you know, I agree with what you said, and I, I, I think deferring to being aware of how, the perception of, among other players of what you do with veterans, I think that's a really good point, and I do think that kind of plays into it. But, I, you know, I'm just reminded of the way that Mike Matheny would sort of keep putting certain veteran players out there because in his mind he was picturing who they were two and three years before. And, you know, they they just they had this kind of um, they were frozen in an amber of their greatness, basically. And so those guys were always that kind of person to them, whereas uh, a young player would kind of be, you know, he would see every kind of flaw that they did and anything they did that wasn't uh, that where they didn't perform well. That was kind of, ah, see, like you're you're not up to major league quality. Whereas these guys who had once established themselves as being, you know, solid or even all-star level major league players, you know, he would just kind of project them at that level into infinity, even when there was a point where it was like, look, this guy is obviously, he's dropped off a cliff. He is not that player anymore. You can't keep using him that way. So that's my, that's my biggest concern. And, you know, again, today, Carpenter starting over Goldschmidt because Goldschmidt's hurt. That's fine. But if we're going to, if it's going to be a regular thing with, Carpenter at second and and Edmund and right. I'm I'm concerned. Yeah, about if that. it keeps going on, it it is potentially problematic. But I think the only way it continues is if Carpenter keeps putting together good plate appearances and solid exit velocity. And if that's happening, he's gonna be hitting. And that's a good thing. Right. Yeah. But the results, it's been so long since he's had results that were, you know, meaningful. And, and I just, uh, so I'm, I, I'm losing hope, I guess is what I'm saying. I don't disagree with what you're saying, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of reaching like a show and me I, the money. Well, I also on. think that there is a possibility that Carpenter could get the Johnny Peralta treatment where they cut him loose mid season. And you have to be able to mm-hmm. look him in the eye and the other people in that clubhouse who respect him in the eye and say, we gave him every opportunity and in their hearts, they have to know that you're right. Um, in order for there not to mm-hmm. be a negative reaction yeah. uh, to that decision. Yeah. And so I, 
I don't yeah. think that it's necessarily any sort of altruism or, you know, Matt Carpenter is a former MVP vote getter who carried us to a division championship, you, you know, that, that type of thing. And almost maybe should have won the MVP in 2013. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? I don't think that's why it's happening. He's getting paid a lot of money. His roster spot is somewhat precarious. Um, but he's also a professional hitter and he can still grind out a professional plate appearance. And this team needs some of that because the other, the other team's pitching has been able to get three outs a little too quickly. Uh, and we do have quite a few uh, younger hitters on the team as well. And so I don't think it hurts anything to have Justin Williams watch and, and talk about hitting with Matt Carpenter while he's here. Um, and so those are all sort of the squishy reasons, but at the end of the day, the last three games, you look at the plate appearances and you look at the quality of contact, who's, who's done a better job. And yeah, the big names have, um, you know, Carlson's, you know, looking pretty good, but really, you know, he's probably one of the four or five best. He's swinging one of the four or five best bats right now, even if you don't have the home run or the double to show for it. And it's a question of process over results, and it's a results-driven business. But when the result's 105 miles per hour off the bat and a foot in front of the fence and in this deep gap in Miami Stadium, well, I you know, I'd like to see some more of that. Right. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. But I mean, we're Carpenter is, has not been, the, the results haven't been there in the very early part of the season there. The spring results were very poor. Again, who cares about spring a whole lot last season? The results were not good. It's a shortened season. 2019 was, was he had, he really fell off from kind of where he had been. So there's, there's certainly a handful of asterisks there. But we're going back three years at this point to the point where he was, you know, product, you know, consistently productive. And that's going back three years, not with a guy who's, you know, 27, but with a guy who's 36. So a guy at that age, when we have to go back that long to where he's been productive, I'm just more apt to think he's that's never coming. And that could be he got hit, uh, if I remember correctly, up in the hand area toward the end uh, of his last good season and his production really fell off. Uh, after that. Um, and then it seemed to bleed over into 2019. And I've read more than one interview with a batter who's been hit in the hand area. And they've said it takes a year or sometimes two to get everything back after that happens. And and that's not when they're in their mid-30s. Those of us who have lived through our mid-30s know that you don't bounce back in your 30s the way you do in your 20s. And so one of the things uh, that I've been watching is he struggled more with fastballs and he seems to be doing better with them, although he's still slow. Uh, but the, I, there are reasons for optimism with Matt Carpenter that I think the people who are very online <laughs> maybe uh, are looking past. Um, and it could also be that he. I'm very online and, you know, yeah. And, you know, I try to keep up as best I can as well. Um, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you're reasonably online as well. We're not, we are not online people. I'm slow to write him off entirely. And, you know, I am a believer that Justin Williams could be a useful and valuable member of this team, but, you know, dialing it back with Williams when Tyler O'Neill is in a black hole of a slump and, you know, going with Carpenter, who's putting together good plate appearances. I just, especially, you know, in the second week of, or the first, I guess, we're still in the first week of the season. We're about to enter the second. There are worse things that a manager could do. And I think the people who have written off Matt Carpenter are ignoring what he has done in games during this regular season. And I think it is good that Mike Schild is not ignoring that. And, um, and I think 
that he will get more respect from the players in that clubhouse because he is not ignoring it. And so I, I am much less down on Matt Carpenter than a lot of folks are, and I am much less down on Schultz's decision to put him in the lineup than a lot of folks are. Well, I will acknowledge that I'm probably projecting a little bit of my Matheny trauma onto Mike Schilt because I don't think he's quite done that yet, but I'm just I'm starting to see Carpenter and Edmund fit into these uh, archetypes that I remember from the Matheny era. And so if he if they continue down a certain path, they could get there. And that's probably what I'm terrified about. Um, I think the the last kind of thing we wanted to just touch on a little bit today was uh, uh, opening day. It was opening day in St. Louis. Um, It's uh, incredibly unique and special event that I think those of us that are big fans always look forward to. So I just, I just want to talk about that a little bit. What, um, you know, what is it that you particularly appreciate about opening day? Is there anything you, you don't like about it or how do you, how do you experience a Cardinals? Uh, home, well, home in, opener? in 2012, actually, uh, I went to the home opener and I paid too much money for tickets and all of those things. And, you know, I saw Stan Musial in person. I saw Lou Brock. I saw Bob Gibson. I saw Ozzy Smith. I saw all the Cardinals greats. And it was uh, when Musial came out, um, my grandpa's favorite player, he passed away uh, several years before that. Um, but with the cl- with with Musial, when Musial came out, I actually cried in the stadium because it was just like uh, a wonderful moment. And uh, when you see Mike Shannon, the tribute to Mike Shannon today, and I thought they handled it very well with the limited crowd uh, today. Um, And the tribute to Mike Shannon, you know, that got me um, pulled on my heartstrings uh, quite a bit. The tribute, uh, you know, to Gibson and and Brock also uh, hit. um, And it was just... It's it's a situation where, um, you know, we make all these jokes about the best fans in baseball, uh, but this kind of open home opener ceremony feels like something so much different and so much uh, just steeped in tradition and generation from generation. And it's just a beautiful thing. And I just absolutely love it. And uh, it's one of my it probably is my favorite day of the year. Uh, other than maybe game one of the World Series when the Cardinals are in it, which is kind of the home opener uh, with a little bit more pageantry uh, <laughs> or maybe, uh, yeah. you know, more built up for the national media types is what I mean to say. But it is it is one of my favorite days of the year, if not my favorite day of the year. Yeah, I, I would echo everything that you said there and uh I've been to uh, I've been to two opening days. Uh, the first one I went to was in 2007, so it was uh, right after a, a World Series win, and that was that was really special. Um, I had to uh, I got uh, standing room tickets to that, and I got there super early. I went with, actually went with a friend of mine who's a Mets fan. And they were playing the Mets that day, and yeah, yeah, and we you know, so we got it really early. There used to be a sort of a section. Um, kind of right behind the Cardinals dugout at the end of that lower section there, they had kind of this little pen of standing space there. And if you got there early, you could kind of stake that out. So we got there early and stake that out. So we had these like garbage tickets, but then we were actually in a really prime spot to watch everything. And uh, they had that Billy Bob Thornton was like the MC on the field announcing uh, everybody as they came in and, uh, you know, did the whole thing. And of course, uh, you know, yeah, back then you had you had Stan and you had Red and you had, uh, of course, Lou and, and Bob Gibson and all of that. And uh, that that was the first time that I had seen it in person. And like you said, I think I think the thing that maybe makes it so unique is you you have that long that connection, that long connection to the past and to like really just kind of great baseball teams. And it does make you feel like you're part of something bigger, which is, of course, why we gravitate to all of these kind of things. And um, 
So, and, and that's just really special when you can see that. And of course, in a, if you ever go after they won a championship, you know, the banner gets raised and it's just kind of, it's an extra special thing. The other, I can't, the other year I went, I, I think it was 2013 or 2014. I don't remember, but my, uh, my oldest son was, had kind of just gotten into and was a big, big baseball fan then. So I wanted him to go experience it. So, um, uh, so he got to see, you know, he got to see all that. We paid way too much for tickets. We were up super high and he developed like a, like a one day, like fear of heights thing. So I had a few <laughs> other uh, obstacles to, <laughs> to sort through that day. But, um, but yeah, I look forward to it every year. It's, it's funny when I step back, I I'm like, you know, I am just so excited to hear this, uh, like beer commercial jingle, you know, be played for like 20 minutes straight while people write in on, you know, these like shiny new Ford trucks right off the dealer lot. It's, it's so kind of odd and like commercial in a weird way like that, but yet it's really authentic and connected to this history and they do it all the time. And so it's, you know, it's a strange thing. If I walked in, if I wasn't a Cardinals fan and I walked in and saw that I wouldn't be moved by it, but when you've invested the time in it, it, having that connection, I I love that it, this thing that, Clearly, I think kind of got developed when Anheuser-Busch owned the team. It's a very commercial thing, as you said. So then you get like the local car dealership gave them pickup trucks for the players to ride in. You, you know what I mean? Like, and now that is. And they, they, they used to be red convertibles, didn't they? I feel like it yeah, used I to be red did. convertibles. And, and then, yeah, uh, you know, one somebody had, you know, Bill DeWitt the third had drinks with the guy who owned the Ford dealership you know, like 10 years ago and it's been pickup trucks but it's, ever since. It's just this funny thing because it's like the things that are tradition, you know, they had to start somewhere and this thing, you know, it feels like it just started because Anheuser-Busch owned the team and it was AstroTurf so they could drive all this stuff on it. <laughs> and now they continue <laughs> yeah. to do it because that's the tradition and it's like, kind of weird that they ride in on pickup trucks but that have like a weird handle for them to get out of so that they don't fall and injure themselves um and it's and i honestly i saw that today and i thought to myself is that something that's installed only for this one event or is there like a hauling vips package that you can get when you yeah i'm sure that ford has uh, accessories that you could not imagine uh for their number one selling f-150 yeah well if there's any ford dealers listening to this you know please uh you know email us and let us know about your entire line but but i think you're i really enjoyed your comment about the connection to past generations and i think that is what has been so tough for the last several years for Cardinals fans as we lost Stan Musial, we, we lost Red, we lost Gibby, we lost Lou, and we didn't, we almost lost Mike Shannon, uh, totally, uh, due to COVID-19. Uh, but now we're, we're going to be losing him. And it feels like, you know, he, he just, you're losing all of the anecdotes. You're losing all of the, uh, the interactions, you know, Jack Flaherty and Bob Gibson, you know, talking during spring training and, and talking during the season and exchanging text messages and, you know, Albert Pujols helping to steady Stan Musial before he he goes out and just all of these uh, Mm -hmm. wonderful things, you know, Mike Shannon being able to say whatever he wants about whomever he wants because he's Mike Shannon, Uh, but then also sharing, for the hundredth time, his anecdote about Bob Gibson and what he told him his first year at third base, I asked him, what do you want me to do? And Bob Gib- and Bob said, if there's not a runner on first, I don't care. And he goes, <laughs> and then he said something like the first five times there was a runner on first, Gibson threw a two-seamer and got a one-hopper to him every time. <laughs> Completely not true, but I'm just going to assume it is. Uh, for the rest of my life that that story is right. true and you know it it just feels like you're you're perhaps losing some of that connection um but then i also think about it and you know ozzy smith doing a, a backflip onto the stadium the last time he did that was 25 years ago 
you know, you go back 25 years before that and Bob Gibson was still, you know, pitching and. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it is, it's one of those things where obviously like time marches on. And so you're always having kind of greats from the past fading away. And I think maybe when you reach a certain age, you kind of like feel it a little bit more, but at the same time, I do really feel like it's just in these last few years and obviously, you know, losing Lou Brock and Bob Gibson in the, in the yeah. same year, you know, this year and, and, uh, Red Shandy's pretty recently, uh, and Shannon leaving the booth anyway, it, it does, it does feel like it, there's been kind of a, a, a quick loss of a lot of that Cardinals history here. But but at the same time, I, I feel good about things like opening day and just some of the other traditions that the Cardinals have, because, you know, I think they I think they keep these kind of things alive and it keeps, ha you know, it keeps that connection going, you know, so you know, I can still take my kids out to the stadium and they see the, you know, the red jackets and they say, you know, like, oh, Jason Isringhausen, who's that? And I can say like, oh, he was like a, you know, league average reliever for a few years. I don't know why. They gave that <laughs> Come on, Jason Isringhausen. Jason Isringhausen. Dad, Dad who's this Dude. talking on the radio? Uh, Ricky Horton. Who's he? A terrible reliever and a worse broadcaster, son. You know, I, it's, I, I know what you mean. It does feel, uh, it, it does feel like we, and we have, we've lost just giants. I mean, hall of famers. I love the Cardinals hall of fame. I love the vote. I think it's wonderful. Um, it does water down the red jacket. Um, and, uh, a little bit compared to what we were lucky enough uh, to have for decades, and, um, you know, I also have to admit, I think my strongest negative reaction to Tony La Russa managing again is he was not there today because he would have been. And I like that. And I also like that when he does interviews, um, Lord knows I have written and said many negative things about Tony La Russa, but uh, I will make a point of uh, reading his book, uh, or, uh, listening to him talk. Cause I find it interesting. Uh, and you know, he has good stories as well. And I did count him as one of ours and now he's, you know, gone back to the white Sox. Uh, so, uh, maybe he's not entirely ours or maybe he never was, but it felt like he was during that ceremony. Um, and I'm really hoping that the angels and Pujols just agree to some sort of buyout on the 10 year personal service contract and Pujols is spending uh, more time in St. Louis in the years to come. Cause that'll really bolster the whole, the, the hall of fame or the future hall of fame ranks when we get, you know, That's when true. we get Yachty and Pujols coming back wearing red jackets and participating in these ceremonies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, um, we're, uh, we, we've kind of hit on the, the big topics we wanted to hit on, on this off day. So, um, uh, as we end here, oh, I did want to mention, we did get, uh, we did get an email from, um, uh, Micah and, uh, uh, Micah thought he had heard that, uh, Austin Dean was a Doogie Hauser situation and, uh, wanted to know if he had gotten into medical school at the age of 16. And so Micah, I did look that up and I can confirm that, no, that was not the case. So, um, <laughs> he's not like, a, anyway, I, a genius you think? No, I was hoping it was true though, because I, you know, I, 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 I have no feelings about Austin Dean, you know, like, um, if, if Austin Dean got into an elevator with me, it would be the like <laughs> Mad Men meme, but like, I don't think about you at all is my relationship to Austin Dean. But if I learned that Austin Dean was a Doogie Hauser, that would be a lot different. And I'm wondering if Mike had maybe just, you know, you know, thought he was like, you know, the dean of the University of Texas at Austin or something. Maybe he heard something along those lines. So anyway, um, thanks for thanks for writing in, Micah. We uh, we investigated it and it was a fun thought exercise, but unfortunately, we uh, we cannot confirm. So uh, with that out of the way, Ben, uh, I think we have another uh, like exactly another week until our next uh, off day. What are you going to uh, be, I'm gonna be watching, watching uh, Carpenter's plate appearances? Uh, because I think that's going to dictate uh, whether or not 
he plays. And I think he's probably going to play against righties and that's going to push Williams to the bench. Um, and I'm interested to see how long Schilt decides to go with Carpenter um, and ride him at second base to try to give the offense a jolt. Interesting. Well, that's somewhat related to what I'm going to be watching for. And I think I'm specifically going to be watching the outfield corners because, as we've mentioned, uh, you know, Justin Williams hasn't produced a lot, though. His, his, he's been really limited. Um, you know, he basically started three games and then has been um, kind of on and off the bench since then. Um, Tyler O'Neill, I saw today, uh, his strikeout rate uh, climbed over 52 percent. So uh, that's not good. Uh, but you know what? It's one week, and I'm really not worried about one week out of either of those guys. But two weeks, I kind of start to be a little worried. It's not like really getting into very meaningful sample size there yet. But I think just realistically from managing a team, if if a guy has given you uh, a, a guy like those two guys who do not have a strong track record behind them, if they give you two weeks of non-production, I think the pressure's on and not entirely wrongly so to look for some other options there. So I'm really going to be looking this week to see, uh, you know, do they kind of, you know, do Williams and, and uh, O'Neill kind of settle back into the kind of presumed starters spots there? And if they do, you know, it would really only take, a, you know, a couple hits, you know, a home run or two from each of them this week. And they would be absolutely right back to where kind of everybody hoped they'd be. And I hope that happens. You know, if if one or both of them goes kind of oh for another week, I think we could be on the verge of a more significant kind of outfield shuffle there. So. Um, so anyway, that is what I will be looking for. Um, ben, anything else before we um, we answered the question this week? Uh, you can email us uh, in the future if you have any questions. We'll do our best to address them during the podcast. Uh, please subscribe to us uh, on your favorite uh, method of listening to podcasts, whether it's iTunes, whether it's Spotify. Uh, give us a rating if you'd like. Uh, we're going to start doing some more writing. Um, in the future and, and tracking some of these things like reliever usage, um, that type of thing. It's just early in the year and it's difficult to do uh, substantive analysis as well as a podcast when, you know, the players don't have a lot of innings pitched and a lot of plate appearances. Uh, so look for those in the future as well uh, in your email inbox if you've signed up for the newsletter. And actually, uh, I have a, a written piece that should be coming out on this off day as well. So um, perhaps shortly after you get notified about this, I just wrote up a, a piece uh, kind of wondering if Matt Carpenter stays in a pinch hitter role all season, could he break the all-time single season record for most walks by a pinch hitter? So that, that'll be, I guess, our first kind of longer written piece you should be receiving uh, today as well or on this off day as well. So um all right. Well, hey, Ben, uh, always good talking to you, especially good talking to you on the day of a home opener and even more so on the day of a home opener that the Carls, the Cardinals won in dramatic fashion with one of their largest uh, yeah, acquisitions. It was in years. Uh, a lot of fun, the game today, and always enjoyable talking to you, Ben. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening, and uh, you'll be able to listen again on the next Cardinals Off Day.